0: Thank you. with award-winning composer David Raikman. He's come back. He's a good friend of the show. And we're going to chat about music and movies and all kinds of wonderful stuff. Here's David. Hi, David. Welcome back to the
1: show. Hey, Sherry. It's so great to be back. Hi, everybody.
0: (laughs) How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, actually. Uh, I'm optimistic about 2022. How about you?
0: I'm hopeful. <laughs> I don't know about optimistic. I'm hopeful.
1: <laughs> I'm hopeful, too, yes. Something new in 2022. i got a new music video.
0: Yes, that's great. Um, what's the name of the video?
1: It's called Ship to Sun, and Ship to Sun is on my YouTube channel, David Raiklin, D-A-V-I-D-R-A-I-K-L-E-N. And if you uh, go to my channel, you'll see that it's uh, – the first thing up there called Ship to Sun and it's a music video that's based on the soundtrack that I just recorded with the Budapest Symphony for Space Command and it's for symphony orchestra plus chorus plus cool state-of-the-art electronics and it's all to help tell the story and in this case we made a story about how much we love science fiction. It's a, a journey and a celebration of some of our favorite science fiction shows with music by moi. Cool.
0: I love that. Well, my my favorite is The Day the Earth stood Still.
1: Oh, that's an awesome and historically monumental show. I talk about that when I do talks about science fiction music.
0: Oh, it's such an amazing movie. Um, Michael Remy and, and, and Sam Jaffe and, I mean, just, it's so beautiful. And Patricia Neal and Billy Gray. All the actors were just perfectly cast. It was just wonderful.
1: Yes. It, it, it was uh, perfectly cast, and the uh, production design is really cool because it looks, quote, real, but it also looks science fiction.
0: hmm I mean, and it's like, I was like 15 or 16 when I saw my father. It came on television, and my father insisted my brother and I see it. He was a big science fiction fan. And I said, Oh, I'm I'm not big, because I wasn't yet a science fiction fan. He goes, Sherry, you'll like it. It's not like there's no bug eyed monsters. You'll like it.
1: (laughs) Yes. I think that uh, for me science fiction is much more uh, about adventures in far off places and technology and what the future could be like. Mm -hmm. And it's not about fighting bug-eyed monsters, but I I understand that, you know, science fiction and horror have kind of gotten mixed up. And in uh, the Space Command soundtrack, there are some scary moments, but it's mostly intense uplifting music that's supposed to help us feel like the future is a good thing and that we want the future and that things can be better.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean one of the reasons well
1: See here's people they're arguing but they're not shooting at each other. They yeah. have the option to shoot, but they decided to instead to talk it out and be reasonable.
0: And they had Michael Rennie, who was beautiful. Uh, that's pretty much why I watched it. <laughs> at fifteen, was Michael Rennie? Um, yes. But but no, but his speech at the end of the movie is just classic.
1: Yes, the the soundtrack is also revolutionary. It's the first piece of music that we know of that's composed for an electronic orchestra. All of the instruments are electronic. And in 1950, there was nobody even thinking of doing that. There was electronic music, but nobody was thinking of taking different electronic instruments and having them play together like an orchestra. But Bernard Herman thought of that years before anybody else. Remember, this is before the later science fiction movies uh, like... Um, Forbidden Planet or your TV shows that used sound effects and electronics. This was the first show of any kind and also the first piece of of music of any kind. There was no concert music that was all uh, done with an electronic orchestra. Now, of course, it's kind of standard and in addition to having a hundred instrumentalists and vocalists playing acoustic instruments, I also have a Rig of uh, electronics that, that are doing all kinds of cool, high-tech electronic things at the same time, but that's now, you know, yeah. <laughs> now hybrid scoring is is normal and, and it's standard. But at that time, nobody was doing it, and it was years before anybody else did it again.
0: It was it, it's amazing. I highly recommend that movie. Um, the other two movies that were instrumental in my education about science fiction were mm-hmm. uh, The Time Machine, the original book by H. G. Wells, movie with yeah, Rod Taylor. Powell. Yeah, George Powell, Rod Taylor Taylor's lead. Um, Alan Young, Yvette Mineo, great movie, great cast. And the other one is Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves, uh, Jane Seymour, and Christopher Plummer. Those those yes. those three movies, are, I know that some people don't even know those movies because they're older movies, but they're my favorites.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of like saying that uh, your favorite play is Shakespeare, and mm-hmm. Shakespeare has been around for a while, mm-hmm. so we know it's pretty good. Yeah. And it, I think the same thing can be true of movies. The, I love move, new movies. I work on them all the time but there can be classic ones that are just as good
0: yeah I mean I I, I think that like you you we were talking about music I think one of the things I loved about Somewhere in Time was the music it was just it was great acting great costumes great writing great special effects but the music was just what it was all about it, it every time you heard it, you kind of knew what he was thinking or what she was thinking or that something bad was going to happen or what Christopher Plummer was going to do. Right.
1: Well, that was scored by one of the probably the ten greatest dramatic composers of the 20th century, John Barry, Mm -hmm. who's probably more famous for doing uh, the scores for the James Bond films or for uh out of africa or for you know any number of, of giant hits but he also could do a terrific job scoring things like uh romances do
0: uh, you, know and, you know why know, he, guess, uh, you know why he did that he did it because he became friends with Jane Seymour when she was in the bond movie and mm-hmm. they they uh were trying to find a composer and she says well I could call him <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, yes. oh, but 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 we can But he read the script, and he didn't even take his full salary because he fell in love with the script, like everybody else in the cast.
1: Yes. Well, here's an interesting uh, story that you know the the film uh, was certainly a, a well-made Hollywood production, but it was relatively low budget. Very. So, so John Barry made a deal, and uh, this is something that. Uh, the contemporary artists could relate to. He said, well, if you can't afford my upfront fee, that's okay. We'll just put a percentage mm-hmm. in the uh, in my contract after the film comes out. And uh, at least according to, uh, to Wikipedia, John Perry made more money off of Somewhere in Time than in any other film because he got a percentage of it.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: it's just getting an upfront fee. I,
0: I I can't think of anybody who was a fan of it that didn't get the at the time uh, CD. Um, no, wait, it was the seventy uh, uh, cassette of it because the music you, you would play it in your car, you would play it at home. It was just the most beautiful music.
1: Yes, well, actually, you know, CDs were out at that time. You know, nineteen eighty. So uh, I, I think of. People didn't get it originally on a CD. They probably would have a couple of years later.
0: Yeah, actually, I actually had both. I had the cassette and CD. Uh, <laughs> um, I really love that movie. I got. I had the DVD. I just. I, it was one of my favorites. Um, and the other movie is of course, like I was saying, the Time Machine. I, you know what really shocked me was, I had seen the Time Machine before I ever read the book. Um, the book is mm-hmm. his book is great. It, I mean, H. G. Wells brilliant, but it's so short. It's one of the smallest books I've ever read. It's like it's like a Christmas Carol. Those are the two shortest, really great movies, really short books.
1: Yeah, that actually makes perfect sense because when we're making a movie, we have a limited amount of time, and that limit has been greatly expanded thanks to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the concept of having episodic or serialized stories in the cinema context. Uh, That has really changed the way that people consume and appreciate movies. But for the most part, films have to tell their story in like two hours or less. So if you start with source material that's already pretty concise, it's easier to adapt because you don't have to decide what to leave out so much.
0: Yeah, they they did um uh, like rear window was based on a short story. That was right. when I think I It's just easier to expand something
1: that's really good a little bit than to greatly cut down something that's really good.
0: And you also have a genius like um Alfred uh, Hitchcock. Oh, god, I can't talk today. Hitchcock. I can say Hitchcock. I can't say his first name for some reason right now. Um
1: uh, Sure, sure. I get it. Uh
0: but, you know, he took that and just well, he's a man loved to have a lot of music and a lot of non-dialogue scenes. So, he probably that's probably why how he expanded it. I mean, if you look at all his movies, there was a lot of that.
1: Yes. Well, Hitchcock learned how to make movies in a very uh, systematic way. Uh, He basically, at one time or another, had almost every job on a film set when he was uh, starting out in England. Mm -hmm. So... uh, by the time he was a director, he already understood a lot about how everybody did their job, so even though he had a very strong vision, he also was pretty good at letting the other people on the team be creative and include their vision too.
0: Jimmy Stewart said he had trick. Jimmy Stewart said he had the whole film in his head before they ever started shooting,
1: right. That's and he got that in, in, in his head by working with writers and storyboard artists.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In other words, it wasn't that he did all of that himself.
0: Oh, no. No, I mean, it's collaborative.
1: put together a team. And by the way, this is actually similar to what Marvel does. Marvel also has multiple versions of the story, and they have lots of storyboards and uh, production art. So they already have a very clear idea of what's going to happen before they go on set. And that's really important, you know, when each day on set might cost a million dollars plus.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, So if you've
1: got all these people running around and it's costing all this money, it really does help to have a good plan about what they're going to do. And then what they're going to do tomorrow and so on.
0: Well, Spielberg did that too. He always had storyboards. Long before Marvel. I mean, after Hitchcock, but before Marvel. Well,
1: it's true that most people do that, but it's to how far an extent. It's kind of like movies have always had music. There was never a, quote, silent era. That's not the way it happened at all. There was always live music, and mm-hmm. sometimes they couldn't afford live music, recorded music, starting back in the 1890s. Movies always had music. Mm-hmm. And same thing, the TV shows always had music. It was just that there wasn't a way to combine the film and the music into one file until we got into like the late 1920s.
0: I mean um, that the organs were that's there was an organ in every single movie theater, um, and before that, when yep. they had the magic lantern, they had uh, an organ in there and somebody playing in the place. Yeah, so yeah, music was always incredibly important to movies.
1: Right, and now it's come back bigger than ever with live-to-picture, where you have movies playing all over the world with live orchestras performing the score to packed houses. Mm -hmm. So in a way, there's actually uh, maybe a little bit more live music being played with some movies today than in the past.
0: That's true. I mean... One of the things I find really interesting um uh, I was actually reading her book before she passed away, but Betty White wrote a book um this was in two thousand and ten about her career um uh-huh. and she was in television before people had television sets. People don't realize how far back she went. um They did an experiment oh, yeah. in California at um when she was just graduated from high school and um, they recorded the TV show up on the top floor, and the only receiver was on the first floor where the people were shopping on the first floor, and that's what the first television show she was, and she sang, and she danced, and she said, I wore my taffeta from my high school graduation.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. She was able to fill five hours every day
0: Yeah, that was later but yeah every single she said it was it was six days a week five hours six days a week that's how her series life Elizabeth came about was because that was one of the skits they did
1: <laughs> yes uh, well a very creative and highly uh, productive live performer And she managed to keep reinventing her career, Mm -hmm. as people with long careers need to do, in such a way that she remained relevant to new audiences, and that's quite an amazing achievement, especially someone who uh, did as much comedy as she did.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I mean...
1: She's much more than than a comedic actress, but, you know, to... To have jokes or style of humor that's still funny after 50 years—that's quite an achievement.
0: She was a character actress, really. She was that. She did drama. She did all of it. I mean, but the really interesting yes. thing was that in between, how she met her husband, to make a living, she did game shows.
1: Yes. Well, again, that was her reinventing herself, and she. Uh, got into a relatively new field where uh there weren't a lot of people doing it and she did it very well. Mhm.
0: Yeah, she was such a lovely woman. I I worked with her once on Golden Girls. She was a very she's just is she exactly like you see her when she's on an interview, a little less on um but she's just very sweet, very friendly, very funny. Just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanted her to make it to a hundred,
1: yes, well uh someone pointed out is uh that, that she was great at doing the unexpected, doing something surprising,
0: yeah yeah i I remember when her uh agent was interviewed about her being on Saturday Night Live and she he said the, she gave him the dirtiest look just before she came on. It was like no more, never again mm-hmm. and although she was brilliant on it, but she was just like she was so mad at him for putting her on that show, <laughs> Yes. because she was scared, and she said it was it was um that's live t v and she hadn't done live t v since the fifties, so he was scared.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, uh, that reminds me of a, a great quote from uh, a, a wonderful director named Norman Jewison. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah he's for all his Academy Award-winning films, but he actually started out as a live TV director. <laughs> and many years later, he actually took on a a live TV gig and he said that he did it because he wanted to remember what it was like to be terrified again.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, he's a wonderful director. I remember uh, he did Fiddler on the Roof. He did um, so many wonderful movies. He's just all diverse, all different, all very interesting. Really great uh, director.
1: Yeah, well... uh, he was probably the the, the most um, elegant, gentlemanly, uh, almost courtly person that I've met in, in show business, while well, at the same time, you know, being approachable and somebody you could talk to.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. He
1: always seemed to know exactly the right thing to say, serious or humorous, to everybody at every moment. And he just... Had this remarkable gift for just putting people at ease and saying the right thing.
0: I I I think that's fantastic. I love that people like that. That's just that's the kind of people that there should be more in the world. (laughs) I just I think he's, he's fascinating
1: yeah well, Norman is still around, and you know he still occasionally will attend uh, events uh you know uh electronically. I think he's living in Canada now mm. that's where he's from i i
0: I don't blame him um.
1: <laughs> yeah uh, but just uh, you know uh, some of his uh, his more famous movies are moonstruck, Agnes of God uh rollerball, Siddler on the Roof, the Thomas Crown Affair in the Heat of the Night, The Russians Are Coming, the Cincinnati Kid. I mean that's quite uh you know historically uh beloved set of movies there and all be by the same person.
0: That's what I meant. They're all diverse. They're all really different. You know? Yeah. I, I mean I mean I love Thomas Crown Affair. It's one of the great movies, and I loved Cincinnati. I mean, I loved a lot of his movies. He's just a wonderful director.
1: Yes. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about Space Command. It's our series of epic adventures set in a hopeful future. And part of what makes the adventures epic and what makes the future hopeful is the music. The stories are definitely full of drama and conflict and action but people resolve their problems in a nonviolent way. So how do we keep the excitement and the, the stakes high? Well one of the ways is to use the orchestra and uh, to play all the excitement and action and adventure through music. and. The best way to do that is to combine all of the elements that are exciting and powerful from different styles of music. So we got a symphony orchestra with a ton of low brass because when you've got the bass trombones and the contrabass trombones and the tubas and the low horns all playing together, the trombosso. plus you add electronics, it sounds really epic and heroic and awesome.
0: I, I I love music. I think it would be really cool to see that. Um, is it going to be? Um, how's it going out to people? Is it going to be like
1: well, the first episode of Space Command is already up on YouTube? And you just search Space Command, or you go to my website, or you go to uh, my YouTube channel, and it's linked there. You can uh, see an episode of Space Command, uh, and then you know the new episode is coming out soon, probably in a few weeks. But the soundtrack is ready, and it's coming out soon, uh, again, uh, probably in about a week. And we've got our first music video up online, uh, so you can see some footage from Space Command, although uh, I'm not limiting it to just Space Command, because we were inspired by all kinds of different shows, including ones that we couldn't include uh, footage from, but uh, that uh, were an inspiration. It's a melodic, tuneful score that's got what uh, some people call light or character themes. So, for instance, we have uh, Doug Jones playing Dore, a android that develops a religious consciousness. And that's kind of a cool new idea, even in science fiction, an android with a religious conscience. And figuring out how to play that. And then uh, there are... Uh, Don't want to give away too much, but there are aliens involved and how to give them their own identity that's separate from the humans. And the story takes place over a vast sweep of space and time, centuries. So one of the things that music can do is help set us in the time period. So when we have events that are happening closer to our time of today, then I do different things with the music that make it sound a little bit more contemporary to us than when We're talking about things that are 50 or 100 years in the future. So uh, that also is an interesting challenge to uh, keep the character themes so we recognize who it is, but now this is an older version of them. They've gone through all these adventures and now there are new characters that we have to to deal with and they have their themes, plus we need the updated version of the original character theme. Because, uh, well, for one thing, uh, door is an android, so he has an indefinite lifespan. He can uh, theoretically live for thousands of years. So uh, when we have adventures that are set in the future, he's still there. So his character theme is still there along with the new themes. So this is a a wonderful, huge canvas to create music that's creative on its own, plus creative ways to actually produce the music. So uh, even though... uh, we have all of these different elements, it sounds like they were all performed live in the same room.
0: That sounds really cool. And um, do you need to subscribe to that? Or how do you get to get to see it?
1: It's free. Just go to the address. And, again, if you go to David Raiklin, R-A-I-K-L-E-N, on uh, my website or uh, our YouTube channel, you'll uh, you'll see the new music video, and you'll see the link to the Space Command uh, episode. That's Although again, uh, the music video that we released is for the new episode that's coming soon, that's coming in the next few weeks.
0: And so, basically it's a series. Yeah,
1: it's basically a series, and uh, it started out as the most funded original movie, On Kickstarter, and I ran that campaign. That was a thrilling time. We thought we were just going to, you know, make enough to get started, but we actually set a record on Kickstarter to uh, to fund an original film.
0: Wow, that's cool. That's a lot of money.
1: (laughs) Yes, and we've had to do several rounds of crowdfunding, but. it sounds and it looks like it's much better than, than something that would be done on a uh, Kickstarter. not the Kickstarter can't look great, but you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. it, 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 especially we've got the same orchestra, the same soloists that are playing on the giant blockbuster movies are playing on this. So you're getting the best performers and hopefully the themes, are attractive and you'll enjoy listening to them, and that the quality is there. And our, you know, our score mixer is works on Academy Award winning films, you know, like uh, Star Trek or Up or Lost. And uh, so, you know, these are the same people working on our show as are working on, on these other big hits. So, at least in that department, you're getting something well worth your while, it's played by great artists.
0: So when's the the next one up, the one that the the video's
1: for? Uh, we don't have a release date yet for the next episode of Space Command. So what you're getting now is this music video, which is a little bit of a teaser. Oh,
0: I see. Okay.
1: It has a few scenes from it, but I don't think it gives away anything, although it does kind of hint at some things that might happen, but it doesn't give away anything. Cool.
0: Um. What it? What's the storyline for the show, and, and who's in it?
1: Space Command is 200 years of galactic history that begins a few decades in the future with the exploration of the solar system, and then we gradually colonize the solar system and then travel to other systems. And the first two episodes are a two-parter, about an android who develops a religious consciousness and begins a rebellion against the humans. And the uh, android is played by the great Doug Jones, who uh, you probably know from uh, being the creature in uh, The Shape of Water or Saru on a Star, Trek, uh, Star Trek Discovery.
0: Mm-hmm. And...
1: Uh, He's just a, a wonderful actor, and, and this time you get to see him act without all the prosthetics uh, because he has this this, uh, this handsome, very expressive face.
0: Yeah, yeah I've seen him being interviewed. It would be nice to actually see his face.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, and, you know, he also, again, he can play comedy. He's just, you know, he, he does everything so well. And he's the nicest guy in entertainment business. It's, we've had our... Uh, convention presence, you know, Space Command Convention uh, at uh, San Diego Comic-Con uh, for uh, for quite a while now. And every time Doug is there to sign for fans that are out the door, I mean, literally, we have our booth and we're signing there and Doug is signing, and the line to get his autograph goes all the way up the uh the convention center corridor, and then along the wall of the convention center, and out. That's that's how popular he is. Wow.
0: Yeah, I. I uh, and I think... how kind
1: he is because he sat there and spoke only uh, enthusiastic, smiling, gentle words to every person who came by. The, the same thing in the first five minutes as the last five minutes. He was just there. For you, And there's very few people who have such a good heart and such tremendous energy that after hours of dealing with fans, that they can still be enthusiastic and supportive and ask questions and engaging with, with every single person.
0: I think that's wonderful. That, that's a good guy.
1: Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's also, uh, Space Command is amazing because it's going to be the last broadcast appearance of the great Mira Furlan who you may know from Babylon 5 and Lost. And she has a, a prominent role in Space Command, uh, playing Bono Dara, an uh, exo-archaeologist. She delivers another great performance, and by the time this comes out, I believe it will be the, the last performance released of her work. Mm. But it's
0: great that she got that. So that if you have a that, referral, so. And this
1: is her at her best, and this will probably be the last performance by her that you'll get to see.
0: Well, I mean, at least got that. I mean, that's great.
1: Yes, and she's fine during this. You know, she's healthy and full of energy, and she does a great job. And then we also have just an a, a all-star type of of cast if you're a, a fan of science fiction. Uh, we have Robert Picardo, who Aww. was a holographic doctor, on Voyager, and who's a regular on, uh, on Orville. And uh, just a, a wonderful actor and also a director. And, and then we have Bill Mumy, who was from the original Lost in Space and who is on the new Lost in Space and who's worked with everybody, you know, from uh, Alfred Hitchcock to, to Rod Serling. And uh, he's great playing a, a futuristic billionaire. Oh, and uh, then our our, our lead is Ethan McDowell. Ethan McDowell is a a marvelous young actor who plays Captain Jack Kemmer in our show, but he's also a recurring character on The Walking Dead and on Doom Patrol. So he has had... a career that's just blown up and he's become uh, so uh, so well-known. And I, I, I'm so glad that I got to work with him uh, on this show because now probably it would be hard to find time in his schedule.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Brian McClure, again, you know, he's uh, become a lead actor in romantic comedies. He's appeared on Atlanta. I think he also was, was recently on, uh, on Doom Patrol uh, and, and many other shows. So his career has also exploded, and uh, he's really uh, become popular and so busy uh, that we're lucky that we got him for for Space Command. And again, he plays a a great character that you want to see again.
0: That's amazing. Great cast.
1: Yes, and uh, it it goes on and on. We have uh, guest appearances from uh, all kinds of... uh, fan favorites and uh new actors as as well as old favorites. Oh, we've got uh one of our the, the great uh leading actors uh Bruce Boxleitner.
0: Oh, I love him.
1: Yeah, so we actually had a little bit of a, a Babylon 5 reunion cuz yeah. we had uh uh you know, Bruce Boxleitner was the the lead on uh, Captain Sheridan on Babylon 5.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, and He was back with Bill Mummy and Mira Furlan. So, you know, we had kind of a, a mini reunion of of that uh, iconic show. Uh, and by the way, Babylon 5 is also coming back to television, uh, although it's going to be a reboot.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, so, d- a new cast, new everything. For reboot right.
1: although uh, Joe Straczynski, the creator uh, of that show and and of the new version, the the reboot, uh, by the way, that shows what a great producer uh, Joe Straczynski is, that he was able to be the lead producer on the reboot. and usually that that doesn't happen. You know, usually that they want to get somebody else to do the reboot, who's, you know, quote, more relevant.
0: I hate that word.
1: <laughs> and, and maybe that's not the right word to, uh-huh. to use, but, you know, uh, he's stayed uh, popular enough and in touch with uh, with the audience that that he's going to be able to do that. So uh, that's a side thing, though. Uh, that's another show I would love to work on is uh, Anything Joe Straczynski Does.
0: Uh, oh, that brings me to that. Are you working on anything new? Or can you not talk about
1: it? (laughs) Well, uh, I just finished uh, scoring uh, a short film uh, that uh, addresses uh, post-traumatic stress in rape victims. So I know that's very serious kind of stuff, but I also do documentaries and public service things. Uh, I also uh, worked on a documentary called The Golden Rule, and uh, believe it or not, there's a, there was a nuclear reactor in Simi Valley, and it's supposed to have been cleaned up, but it never really was. And this is a documentary about what happened when it was a reactor and then the attempts to clean it up and why it, it still needs to be done today so uh i don't know when that one will be released but uh that's also uh one that uh turns out to be relevant all over the united states that we still have some cleanup to do and again that was one that i recorded with a, a live ensemble but that was more of a uh sound design plus pop music kind of things and uh so I got to do a couple of pop songs for that and that's always great. You know, I love writing songs especially for uh movies and TV shows. Cool. Where you're really helping tell the story. Cool. Oh, and that's something that's going to be on the soundtrack album. The, the, the Space Command soundtrack album is also going to have a couple of songs on it. Uh One by a, a wonderful uh, recording artist named Marina V, who uh has a lot of followers and who's a uh, a big science fiction fan. And uh, we we did a science fiction song together. And then uh, Bill Mummy did a, a song as well about his character.
0: Oh, well, that's fun. That's a lot
1: of fun. So we have some interesting songs, and I wanted to, to do that, to have the uh, actors on screen perform on the soundtrack as well. So... Uh, for example, when we, have, when we have Doug Jones on screen, we also sometimes have Doug Jones's voice in the choir that's supporting his character on screen. And the same, when Mira Furlan is on screen, sometimes we have Mira Furlan's voice as part of the choir that's supporting her dramatic action on screen. And that doesn't happen very often, where you get the performers on screen to also be part of the music on the soundtrack.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, We're running out of time. Um, Could you give me your website and any social media that people can check you out on?
1: Yes, please uh, check out David Raiklin on Facebook, D-A-V-I-D-R-A-I-K-L-E-N, and uh, friend me. Or, or follow me. And uh, that's how you keep up with my adventures and then my website. Uh, there's some uh, good content there, davidrakeland.com. And uh, you can also check me out on SoundCloud. There's uh, a bunch of tracks up there. And uh, I decided on, on SoundCloud I was going to be Cinematic Music One, C I N E M A T I C M U S I C, the numeral one. Oh, and that's also my email, cinematicmusic1 at gmail.com. And please subscribe to uh, find out when I come up with new videos because uh, I'm planning on putting up new uh, uh, music videos for Space Command and other things uh, that that are coming up this year. Uh, We've got a live concert that's going to be happening at the Presidio in San Francisco in, in May. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been up there, but it's a beautiful location, uh, a wooded hilltop overlooking San Francisco Bay in, in this uh, great uh, acoustic space, and we'll have string quartet music there live.
0: Okay. Um, thank you. Um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed You're it. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>
1: I love your show, and I, I love talking with you. We had a conversation even before the show started because Sherry is such a great conversationalist and knows so many topics.
0: Oh, thank you, um, thank you very much, and thank you for chatting, with Sherry.
1: <laughs>